This is Atolio Conversations. I'm Luke Alley. Raman Beheshti is the CPTO at Dow Jones, which publishes a number of B2C financially focused publications like the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, Market Watch, and others. And Dow Jones also has a B2B component, selling compliance data. It's a wide-ranging organization, and his title is similarly broad, combining everything from infrastructure and operations, as under the purview of a typical CIO, and then also all the way through to UX and engineering. In our conversation, we talk about what working at a news organization has taught him about how to communicate with his teams internally, why he believes curiosity is so important, what he's learned about working with startups, and more. So, over to my conversation with Raman Beheshti. Raman, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Luke. I'm excited. So, I want to start by talking about your very unusual title. Previously, you were the chief information officer before you became the chief product and technology officer. So, can you talk a little bit about that transition? I think to understand the transition that I made from being the CIO to the chief product and technology officer, it's worth just touching upon my background, which was more around product and engineering. And as I was coming into the CIO role, my boss at the time was like, "Why would you take a CIO function? You've already done. You'd like you've moved into digital. Why go back and run operations and infrastructure?" And I was like, "Look." I think I know product and digital as like as in like I've done product and digital. What I don't know is how to run it and how to run the enterprise. And I think there's things that I can take from that and apply it to internal customers. And so, being the CIO and learning how to run the operational side held me in really good stead. Then, when the chief product and technology role came up, because I had the product and engineering background, and then I'd kind of combined that with I know how things. I'll then kind of run, and so I've got a holistic view of how technology sits together. Were there any mentors who gave you some advice that was really helpful while you were adapting to your new role? I've had a handful of mentors over the years, but I think the, probably the best example for the the role that I've performed was a gentleman called Paul Cheeseborough, who is now the president of Digital. I mean, he he's he's a kind of very innovative, very creative leader, um, but. What, what Paul helped me really understand is you can't have those conversations with the board, with the executive, with uh, your stakeholder group if the technology isn't working. And, you know, go back to first principles if people's laptops aren't working, right? If that's under your remit, there's no point in having a conversation about the new innovation that we can kind of drive on the customer side until you get the, the the basics sorted out. And again, I say that because Paul's one of the most creative, he's always, I, I look at him as one of the kind of innovators and always on the leading and bleeding edge of the technology that, that he uses and the experiences that they're building or he's built. But I, I learned that operational excellence has to come first. So how did his focus on operational excellence actually manifest in terms of his behavior. 
Was it something that he talked about explicitly? Exactly that, and it was the, it was the it was how, where he placed importance on what metrics he was looking at, what conversations that he was he was having, and I think he didn't go in and tell people how to to drive operational efficiency. I'm sure he can do. What what he did was kind of set the culture at the top that these things are incredibly important, and we have to get these things right and then continually uh, Im- Im- improve it. Uh, and I learned a heck of a lot from that. You mentioned sort of setting the culture at the top. Can you talk about what leaders can do to shape a company's sort of capital C culture? It's, it's probably like my soapbox moment. If I find this kind of term of culture also to be misleading, it's kind of like there isn't just one culture um, as you kind of have multiple different teams. Like I had people in different locations uh, across the world and there's no way that the culture in Hong Kong will be the same as the culture in Minneapolis uh, or in New York, right? Because you're also a factor of, the culture is also a factor of the environment that you're working in. But I think what's important as a leader is thinking about how do you, what is consistent and what, what, what are the, the areas that you want to emphasize uh, uh, across the board? So, for example, curiosity, operational excellence, uh, collaboration. Like, what are the, the messages that you want to kind of reinforce? Uh, and that actually goes a long way to defining the overall culture of a particular department. But I think trying to homogenize every part of it, how you celebrate success it's going to be different because actually people come from different environments and, and, and the team makeups are, are kind of different. Um, so, so I kind of, I think about that a lot actually. Um, and I think as you get larger and larger teams um, and you get different types of personalities, uh, it, it's very difficult. So another one is like inclusivity uh, and how do you create an environment of, of inclusivity and, Again, that can be different in 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 different spaces, but it's kind of like what are you stressing at the top? Are you kind of three or four things that are really important, and and how does that then trickle down across the department and organization? I like this sort of squishy anthropological idea of culture, especially because I think it's easy for people to say that the company motto is their culture, but that's not the actual culture, right? No, it isn't. It's, it's, it's how the teams, how people work, how people operate, how people feel empowered. And, and just because you say it doesn't make it so. The culture is actually much more observed, right? Being consistent in what you say and how you behave helps deliver the, the culture. But too often, you know, there's the people point to what's on the wall when, when you were kind of in the office with everybody and be like, well, that's our culture. It's like, no, that's what you aspire the culture to be. What the actual culture is, is much more kind of observed. And it's, in, it's through your actions as a leader and then through the team's actions in terms of actually is that kind of connecting and translating. Speaking of translating and connecting messages, I imagine that being the CPTO at Dow Jones, which includes the Wall Street Journal, that you must have some pretty interesting thoughts on the relationship between a piece of content and the medium or the format in which it's presented. I probably could take up a film trilogy. What I think about that 
about the the ability to connect content with an audience and i think it's becoming so important for news organizations today to be able to do that in an effective way because you know the the consumption of news for example is becoming incredibly fragmented and i think part of that is because the way that news organizations tell the news hasn't necessarily evolved from the traditional way that they've always told it it's still overly reliant on text-based delivery and i think depending on the time of day depending on where they where we are we we might choose to get our news differently within that within that day so i'll give you an example i have five minutes you have an hour you are walking somewhere i am in front of my computer and i'm a visual person you might not be a visual person how we deliver the news to you should should vary and i think when you're trying to grab and keep people's attention that is absolutely um key and i kind of if i relate that back to internally within the organization and this is you know one of my learnings as a cio is there's an amazing ability to delineate employees and and customers and actually they're all the same people right your employees are consumers of other become your your consumer of other things you and i consume uh, other products and other experiences and so why when you think about something like uh, how you consume the news or how we our customers who consume the news the same principle should apply in terms of how we communicate to our people and i think all too often uh, if i take it from a leadership perspective people are kind of like oh well you know i communicate to the team through this mechanism but they don't seem to have understood it and that's their problem and it's like well actually no no again different people will hear things in different ways and it's your job as a leader to be able to communicate effectively with teams and help teams communicate effectively with each other and then i think when you look at it from the cio's perspective who's the way they should be looking at all of the employees within an organization you treat them as consumers and they all have different need states they're not your employees as one group and i'll give you one example like i wanted everybody to be empowered it's great it's great aspiration we used to continually say be empowered be em-. some teams completely empowered other teams wouldn't make a decision and it's trying to about well, what environment they're operating in like why don't they and I, I, I used to get frustrated i'd be like well i've told them they should be empowered and it's like but it's not enough to just say it but other teams being acting empowered and you know they they make a decision and they take they made a mistake if i then am seen to berate that team well guess what? guess what doesn't matter how many times i've said be empowered no one else is going to stick their neck out and so i i think these are things like that i don't think is well enough understood especially when it comes to technology um uh, in terms of building teams and technology so going back a bit you mentioned curiosity as being an example of a good value to have at a company, which I thought was interesting because that's definitely shaping up to be one of the core values here at Atolio. And so I've been thinking a lot lately, like, how do you tell when a person's really curious? Yeah, I, I think it's what the follow-up question is. So, so well, actually, is there even, like, you first start with, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, are they naturally asking questions or are they just wanting to go into talk mode? And credit to you, you actually asked me a lot of questions as soon as we got on the phone. Like, and, but by the way, that wasn't that wasn't a trick. It was just 
I tend to be quite a curious person, right? I, I love to know where people have come from, what their backgrounds are. And sometimes it gets to the point of like, it feels like I'm interviewing them, but I just love to learn about people. And I take that, I think you then take that into then, well, the customer is just a person. So you want to understand more about them and their lives and, and what they're, where they're coming to you at. And by the way, that isn't something you can't teach. You can learn to be curious as well. Going back again to another topic that you brought up, innovation. Can you talk about the work that you've done with startups? I've had, I mean, startups and large corporates like ourselves, I'm always quite wary of bringing a, a startup into an organization like ours. And actually not because of our risk, but because of the risk it poses to the startup, right? We are very good at overwhelming a kind of small, very small um, organization with requests, with sometimes too much bureaucracy uh, that they're kind of capable of, of handling. So I'm always quite conscious that it's good for that organization as well. But I've had some, you know, we were with some kind of established brands really early on in, in their life cycle of becoming an enterprise organization. So like our first cloud deployments were in 2012, before my time actually, uh, and, and they were on AWS. And we were Dropbox's first enterprise customer and New Relic came into our organization. We, we've had really great uh, relationships with these companies and watched them kind of grow to, to large scales. And I think at the heart of it, when you get it right, that relationship is all around listening to the customer, i.e. the customer in this case being us, and not just doing what we ask. Right, because again, it's very tempting when you're a startup to just go, "Oh, these guys are big. We want them to be happy." I was right. Okay, we're going to do it. Right, but it goes back to being curious about, well, why is that really important to them? Is that really important to other types of customers, or is this something that's unique um, to these guys? Great communication, right? Like I'm like, oh well, I want this feature by you know X day, and and actually, it's the best. People aren't the people who say, "Yeah, of course it is," and you know, we'll, we'll sacrifice our roadmap and our business as a result. It, the best people are like, look, this is why we don't think that's right for us or why we might not think it's right for you. And actually what you'd rather, what we think is better for you is, is X. And that level of communication and partnership is, is kind of, I think, critical to the, to, to the success of the relationship. Can you talk some more about that balance between taking what a customer says they want at face value versus determining for yourself what they actually need? Yeah, but I, I think it all comes down to, it goes back to one of the things I said earlier on with that is around curiosity. I need to understand more about you. What is it that you're trying to do? And then I need to calibrate what you've said you want versus what the problem is that you're facing. Um, and, you know, there's this there's like these kind of like cliched examples of, of how you know Apple came up with the iPhone or you know the, the old one is kind of the Henry Ford example that they're, they're two really good examples of like actually what is the customer problem and how do you go and, and, and solve it right um, and and I think 
it's not it's, it's not like a perfect answer but i think too often people aren't curious enough about what customers are trying to do and what is frustrating them or what do they what do they really uh, find is is the issue and then how do you stay in that moment long enough that you can try loads of different solutions and see what sticks the other the other thing around that is being able to experiment and, and being comfortable with failure actually another great kind of again cliched example is the amazon fire phone that led to the echo uh, device right and no customer turned around and went oh i want something that i necessarily want to be able to speak to that wasn't where it started but actually by by really understanding what customers are trying to accomplish and and trying different things and some of them didn't work you end up at a different solution i think that that isn't done enough uh, both for employees and then customers right so it's not about disregarding it's about sort of having a bigger picture in mind and, and being able to kind of connect dots that they can't necessarily see that's a really good way of describing it yeah well Raman, thank you so much for coming on the show it was a pleasure talking to you well Lisa, it's lovely to connect with you and uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon thanks to Raman for talking with me and thanks to tom tierney for the music be sure to subscribe to atolio conversations wherever you get your podcasts and follow Atolio on LinkedIn.